Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle Podcast, Season Two, Episode Seven. Episode Seven, it is. Uh, I hope everyone has had a enjoyable week. My sporting clubs, well, one of them didn't play. Um, one of them played, and one of them won just about and we'll touch on the circumstances in which they won um a little bit later on but i hope everyone's had a enjoyable week um i yeah apart from that nothing really on my end um deadline that happened which we'll of course we'll speak about we'll speak about some transfers we'll also touch on just overall like the transfer business if it has changed my prem predictions or etc etc um what else what else is there to speak about let me go through my run sheet, actually. It's probably a good way to do it. Um, yeah, so some Delo Day transfers. Ivan Tony, I want to speak about him a little bit. The Australia Cup, and then who went into footed. Spoiler alert, it's going to be VAR. And we're going to have a lengthy discussion about about VAR. Because I feel like I did it, what, in my first couple of episodes I spoke about it. So um, I think it's now time that we do a... That we refresh our memory on how appalling that system is. But... As I as I digress, I should say, I would appreciate it if everyone, if I can get my words out, that'd be a great start. I'd appreciate it if everyone could subscribe to the Two Foot Tackle podcast on YouTube. Um, YouTube, like the, like the podcast on YouTube. Notification bell so you don't miss any clips. Um, Twitter, 2FTPod. I'm going to start doing a lot more general chit-chat on Twitter. So if you want to hear my thoughts as it happens, like live tweeting of games and transfers and other scenarios... Um, rather than having to wait f- t- a whole week for my thoughts, go follow follow the Two Foot Tackle Podcast Twitter TFT Pod as my camera is going out of focus as I just change that ever so quickly. There you go. And also, can I just preface this by saying apologies to all the audio listeners because I do flash up a lot of visuals. Um, go on YouTube, subscribe to it on YouTube, and w- listen to it on YouTube because sure, um, th- th- that's my only ex- not excuse, but that's my response to that. Um, yeah, that's Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Two Foot Tackle Podcast. For yeah, I feel like TikTok, Instagram are pretty pretty self-explanatory. Instagram just for updates and other general thoughts, um, and TikTok for some TikToks. That's normally where TikToks go on the TikTok app. So yeah, if you want to if you want to see me taking myself out of context for sixty seconds, TikTok's your place to be. Um, yeah, but I think that's enough waffle because I I'm an I'm an expert waffler. I think we've come to determine on this podcast. And uh, let's let's crack in. I think let's crack in and let's go. Let's start with deadline day. I think I think we should we should start with deadline day. It was the the thing that happened over the week, which is probably a good way to describe it. The thing that happened over the week. Um, as I see, I I came prepared as as before I started. I came prepared with actual water, so I don't have to take a break and go get some because I've got it here. But um, yeah. Deadline day. Now, not really a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of deals going to happen. We all thought of deals that could happen. We all thought Liverpool would go get a midfielder, Chelsea would go get a striker, and another midfielder. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, we all knew the Anthony deal was was ha- had happened. So I think that was announced on deadline day, but that was um, announced beforehand. And yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of surprise in a sense. But let's just go through some of the main transfers. And I think the best place to start is actually with my team, with Chelsea. Now, I was really... Cons- I-, I think this was a very important... As I pop the, the lid on my water there. Um, I think this was a very important deadline day for Chelsea. Very important deadline day for Chelsea. Because we've seen in the first couple of games that the lack of striker and lack of midfielder 
it really hurt them. Really hurt them. And they needed to get both of them in. They were, of course, looking at... Firstly, they were looking at um, Edson Alvarez, which... Oh, if they had got that over the line, that would have been something else. But it was too late in the window. There was also rumours, especially after after deadline day, that they were going after Lav- Lavia from Southampton, um, who would have been okay actually scored against Chelsea, funnily enough, um, in midweek. Um, they were looking at Zangare, which I would have adored. Everyone knows that I love Ibrahim Zangare on this podcast. Um, I would have adored that. None of those happened. It was Dennis Zakaria. Now... When with when you talk about Zakaria, right? Juventus fans might have a different opinion on him and other and other teams, and other sorry other 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 teams fans or other supporter bases might have a different opinion on him. But when you look at when you look at what um, Zakaria offers, it's just kind of basic in a sense, and I, I feel like it's a harsh way to say, it, but it's a very simple way of playing football. He isn't an intricate midfielder. He doesn't break lines with passes. His role isn't overly complicated. He can play in a double pivot. He can play in a single pivot. He can play at the base of midfield. And he's just a destroyer. He's a physical destroyer. Defensively solid. Offensively not overly good. Like he's, He isn't very good with the ball at his feet. He isn't very progressing. But he's just a very basic midfielder. Which is fine. Which is fine. This isn't a knock on him. This isn't a pot shot at him. It is fine. Like being a basic midfielder is really fine. Like it doesn't mean that you're bad. I think someone like a Claude Makalele was a basic midfielder. He'd just see ball, get ball, pass ball to better players. That's what Zakaria's role will be in this Chelsea team. See ball, get ball, pass it to Kovacic, pass it to Chilwell, pass it to Reese James, pass it to whoever. Right, even pass it back to Koulibaly or Thiago Silva, players that, can, that are more accomplished with the ball at, his, ball at their feet. So I, this isn't a bad signing for Chelsea. Is is it a panic signing? Yes, I think it is. Because you've had a whole summer to buy you've had a whole summer to buy a midfielder and you're leaving it till the last minute. Um I think maybe um Tushio thought Gallagher was gonna be a little bit better than what he was. Maybe he thought Kovacic and and Conte were gonna stay fit, which is wishing pigs which is like wishing pigs could fly. Um yeah, so Chelsea needed a midfielder and they got Zakaria. I don't... Yeah, like I said, basic signing, like in terms of basic footballer, fine signing. I don't think it'll be overly bad. I don't think it'll end up like a Sal, Sal Niguez type um, signing where it just didn't really work. I think this will work. I have faith in in what Zakaria offers. Um, granted, I haven't seen a whole lot. Granted, I don't watch every Juventus game. and I, I, I watched him um, bits and pieces... When when looking at the Euros, um, for 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 Switzerland, and I thought he was okay. I thought he was accomplished enough on the ball to do something. I thought he was fine defensively, um, in the lead up to it, especially. So, yeah, I feel like it's a fine signing for Chelsea. Nothing overly impressive. It's on. It's a loan. It's a loan deal as well. Option to buy is thirty five million. I think thirty million option to buy. I'm not quite sure. Um, so yeah, whether they take that up, take him up on that, I don't know. I doubt it. I feel like there's better midfielders on the market, but yeah, just just a fine signing. And I think what this does is it just is a good stopgap. It's a good stopgap for Chelsea because we saw, especially against West Ham, um, just being an overrun in the midfield. They Chelsea moved to a three five two. They moved to um. Loftus Cheek, Jorginho, and Gallagher in midfield. 
is it did, like did it did it work? I I don't think you can say it didn't work because Chelsea won the game. wasn't overly um, wasn't overly pleasing to watch. No, um, was it was it good on the eye? No, it wasn't. Was it just very systematic, very industrial? Yes, it was. And I think that's where Chelsea are at at the moment. They just need very industrious players and very industrious ways of playing football just to get results and just to get some momentum going because things are not looking good on their end. Um, and I think Zakari will just help with that more industrialization of that midfield, just getting it solid and then building from it. Because you have players like Chilwell, Reese James, um, Cucurella, Sterling, Havertz, Mount, these guys who can offer a little bit of individual brilliance and, and kind of bail you out of games um, at times. So, yeah, they just need more industrious midfield, and I think Zakaria offers that. Um, and another position where Chelsea needed to get and in which they addressed was a striker, and they went out and got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, uh, this is really tricky, really tricky. Firstly, they've given him the number nine shirt, so... Insert meme of, oh shit, here we go again. Because Chelsea bringing in a, maybe not big money, but a a high reputation number nine, a high reputation striker giving him the number nine, only ends in one way, and that's and that one way is shit. So um, if Aubameyang doesn't score a goal for the rest of the season, I think we can blame it on the number. Um, yeah, so firstly, he has a, he has a, he has, Aubameyang, of course, played for Arsenal, Arsenal legend, Probably not. No, probably not. Maybe the way he left maybe hindered that. But a, a, a very good Arsenal player. Has a tattoo of him in an Arsenal shirt on his body. Doesn't sit well with me as a Chelsea supporter. Don't think it'd sit well with many as, as many Chelsea supporters. So, yeah, quite quite funny, that. But, um, yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a panic buy. I think, you can, I think you can put both of these down as panic buys because, once again... You had a whole summer to sort out a striker. Like, you sold Lukaku straight away, pretty much. Um, Yeah, so you had a whole summer to to buy a striker. I don't really think that this is the right striker to get, but it is what it is now. I think with Chelsea, maybe not what what we saw this season so far, but what we saw last season was Chelsea's ability to create, but inability to finish. Maybe it's, it's different this year. I think we can almost say for certain it's different this year because we saw in the West Ham game, maybe it's because West Ham were really good and I think they were defensively, but Chelsea created nothing um, in, a, in a way of meaningful chances until Chilwell came on, funnily enough. Um, yeah, so Chelsea need to create more chances. But what Aubameyang offers is just a very good goal scorer. Now, he isn't a Timo Werner type. He isn't a... Um, He's in a similar mold to Lukaku in a sense, in which he is a poacher. People think that Ababio is this complete striker. Yeah, he might have been maybe four years ago. For Arsenal, I think early days um, for Arsenal, you could, you saw him playing out playing out wide, dropping deeper, getting the ball at his feet, do like being more of a complete number nine. Now with age, his speed's slowly lost him a little bit, and his technical ability isn't there to be a kind of false nine, even more like a like a like a Chequatista or like an enganch, a little bit like that. Like his technical ability isn't there for him to play out on the right and kind of just float in a space in a sense. He has to be a striker. So what what you offer there is, is a poacher. You you sign a poacher and that is good for last season's Chelsea. 
this season Chelsea isn't that. That's not good for because Chelsea can't create. Now, let's just assume that Chelsea can fix those creative issues and can get Mount and Zayac, pull, oh, no, Mount, like, um, Havertz, that's what I was going to say. Get these players, get Sterling, get them around the play a little bit more and create chances more often. Then that's when we'll see the best of Aubameyang because, like I said, he's lost his pace. He's never really had the technical ability to play out wide and cut in like an inside forward. So he's going to be a poacher. He's going to be just like a off-the-back-shoulder striker. And if Chelsea can get those creative issues fixed, that will be a good signing for them. But it, it, I feel like Aubameyang, especially nowadays, is one of those players that does well if the rest of the team does well. He isn't a player that can take a game by the scruff of the neck and score two goals in 10 minutes and win you a game. He isn't like that anymore. He needs quality service. And at Barcelona, he got quality service. At Arsenal, to his like when he's in his latter days at Arsenal, he didn't get the service, which means he didn't score goals. Chelsea need to give him the quality service that he needs to score goals. And if they do, he'll put him away because he's a very good finisher. I just think that as age has got to him, he's lacked more of that overall complete footballer. He's more of a poacher now. So it will be down to Chelsea's ability to create chances. And as we've seen so far this season, I don't think Chelsea have, have created as many chances as they need for him to score goals. I don't think their their chance creation in terms of quality is nowhere near where it needs to be. That's just fact. And if it can get to where it needs to be, then Aubameyang will probably score at least 15, maybe even 20 goals this season. But if he if they don't create chances, he'll probably score under 10. That's where we saw the issue with Aubameyang at the back, of, at back end of his Arsenal career. Like I said, back end of his Arsenal career, they stopped creating chances, quality chances, and he struggled with whereas when he was at the start of his Arsenal career he was able to get to score goals from nothing and really take the game on and do all that stuff so it it is one of those things it is one of those things so and the thing is with that when when you're a player that relies on other players to play well or relies on service I'm thinking of a Romelu Lukaku type player Whereas someone like a, someone like a, let's just say Mo Salah. I know he hasn't had the best season so far, but last season Mo Salah, when Liverpool was struggling in any game, he was able to just grab the ball from 30 yards, dribble past three players and score. I know he's a winger, I know he's different to a striker, but think about Haaland. Haaland is able to just score goals from nothing because he's that good. Aubameyang isn't there, so he needs the quality service. That's my only issue with his signing in terms of from a tactical perspective. I think he offers the ability to play two up front. I think you can play Sterling slightly off him. I think this spells the end for Kai Havertz as a striker, can I just say. I think he's going to be moved around a lot now. Where that is, I don't know because Chelsea, of course, don't play a, a trio at number 10. They don't play a number 8 either. They kind of play two box-to-box midfielders. They almost play two number 6s in a sense. And you can't play Havertz in a double pivot, so... I don't know where they're going to put Havertz. Tuchel is probably going to play him right wing back. But, um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where Havertz goes from here. I think Sterling, we're going to see the best out of him because I feel like he'll complement Aubameyang's game style pretty well. Um, Mount will we'll suit that system. I think Mount isn't really affected by this. Similarly with Pulisic and these other guys. Um, yeah, that's my just two, two cents on Chelsea because... 
yeah, it's it's just such a bizarre situation what's happening with them. They've signed two players almost panically um, on the deadline. Um, of course, Wesley Fofana went through as well, but we all knew that was going to happen. So, yeah, let's move on to... I was going to speak on Anthony, but um, I spoke about him last week. He scored on debut, which is good. Um, yeah, he had to start. 100, 100 million euros, not pounds. I got corrected on TikTok, actually, for that, which was quite funny. But, um, yeah, 100 million euros, so 80 million pounds. Had to be the starting right winger, was the starting right winger, and scored. I don't know what happened. Well, I don't know what this means for Jaden Sancho, but it is what it is. Not my problem, is it? Um, yeah, and and also what with Anthony, with Anthony, we saw, but well, we saw what I spoke about last week with him giving that sp- being given that space on the right hand side. That's where he thrives because that's where the goal came from. The goal came from pressure down the left hand side, then a quick kind of counter-press type scenario, get the ball back, play it into the striker, the striker plays it out wide to the left, where he was given all that space. Granted, it was a one-on-one with the goalkeeper, he wasn't didn't really have to beat a man or or do some skills to get past his, his direct opponent, but having that focus play down the left-hand side drags everyone across, Anthony's really good at maintaining width, really good at maintaining width. So when that play gets quickly transfer, transferred over through a through like a quick counter press, when that play gets quickly transferred over, they can hit the hit the striker kind of back to goal. He can fling it, fling it back to the central midfielder and then play it out wide to the left winger or even just a direct ball out wide. That's why I think someone that's why I think someone like a um like a what's his name? Ronaldo. That's why I think if he was any other player except for Ronaldo, he'd work. Because, how do I explain this? Because Ronaldo's instinct is, oh, I want to score goals, he doesn't really have that hold-up play nature. Whereas someone like a Sebastian Haller last season for Ajax was exceptional. Because he would hold the ball up, get the ball played into feet, play it back, and then make those reverse runs. Because of that play down the left-hand side, he was given the ball to feet, out wide to Anthony on the on the right-hand side. He was given space, and then he'd make those runs into the box for crosses, for rebounds, etc. That's where... Um, and also, Halle's really good in terms of mobility-wise. He's quite mobile for a, for a target man, if you were to call him that. So, um, yeah, that's I liked Anthony's game. I watched the first half of that. It was 1.30 in the morning, so forgive me for not watching the whole game. Um, I didn't think he played that well, but I thought the goal that he scored is going to be indicative of many goals that he scores this season. It's going to be very similar where he, he where he just finds himself in finds himself finds himself in all kinds of space on that right hand side because they're going to play a lot of their they're going to United are going to focus a lot of their play down the left. That's also another reason why I think Malassia instead of Luke Shaw is very good. Malassia is slightly better technically. Um, as well as Lissandro Martinez playing on that left-hand side. It just gives him that extra layer of security in terms of ball progression and ball, like recycling the ball, recycling possession. Having that left footer on that side is better. And also Martinez to Anthony, those diagonals are going to be ping in left, right, and center. So, um, yeah. Exciting times for United. I thought they played I thought they played very well in terms of, I thought they played their game style well. Um, I thought Arsenal's goal that um, was disallowed came out of nowhere, and that's the one thing they need to be careful of, those quick counter-attacks, because they do leave themselves exposed at times. Um, but yeah, United play very well, and I just wanted to speak on I just wanted to speak on them when I spoke about Anthony. But yes, let's move on to the red, or to the blue side of Manchester, with Manchester City, as they signed 
Akanji, out of nowhere, this one, really out of nowhere, and this just goes back, this goes back to the thing of saying, Man City are fucking ridiculous, let's be honest, because they've signed, they've signed Holland, Akanji, a left back, all with a net profit. Uh, Julian Alvarez, I think that was in January, but they've signed these all these players with a net profit. That's insane. And Akanji, while he's not, while Akanji isn't fucking the Van Dyke of defenders, he's still very solid. Can play left back, can play right back. Physically very good. Can capable with the ball at his like he's just a well-rounded defender. Just well-rounded. Capable with the ball at his feet, doesn't really have to be anything that he's not. Like he doesn't have to exceed expectations. He just needs to do his role, and he will. And he he will do that because he's a very not intelligent. Like he's intelligent player, of course. But what the phrase I'm looking for is a very um, systematic player. Kind of just uh, just goes a bit unassuming. Just goes about his business. Physically very solid. Defensively solid. Um, capable playing with the ball at his feet, just goes about his business, pretty versatile as well, quick learner as well, that's something that I, obviously I didn't really know a lot about him, so I did some, did some research midweek, um, he's a quick learner, that's what I've come to find, um, yeah, he picks up things pretty quickly, can adapt to systems pretty quickly, so yeah, I expect to see him kind of fit into City system quite well, whether that's as a right back, left back, or more, more likely a centre half, so um, yeah, Akanji, we all know that he's a He's a human calculator. Um, we've seen those clips flying around on Twitter of him doing ridiculous maths. But, um, yeah, I think pretty good signing for, for City. Once again, out of nowhere, I just don't understand how they're getting these deals over the line. It's just fucked. Like, it's just fucked. Like, how they have a, how they have a net profit, is, is it's beyond me. Genuinely beyond me that they have a net profit. We all know Holland scored 400 goals this season already, so he's probably going to score another 600. Um, yeah, it's just so bizarre. But City are on their way. Um, I know they drew to Villa, but they're on their way. They just, yeah, fuck. It annoys me. It really does. Because it, it is jealousy. It is, of course, it's jealousy. Like, fans, fans, like, as a Chelsea supporter, I'm not jealous of Manchester City, the club. Because the history, which is ironic because I'm a Chelsea supporter, but Chelsea have history, just do your research. Um, the irony, that which is quite funny, but the the club itself I don't like. In terms of the what they stand for I don't like and who they are I don't like. But you can't help but you can't help but respect what they do and how good they are and just how well they maintain this just ferocious level of winning winning mentality so um yeah i'm jealous for that not jealous of them themselves but jealous of that um as we move on let's move on to the final talking point in terms of deadline day i want to speak about it was arthur to liverpool um now this one i want to speak about a little bit more in depth because and this one is kind of going to transcend this transference i want to speak about liverpool a little bit more in depth because obviously they drew to, they drew to evident they drew to evident over the weekend um and in a in the most exciting nil-nil draw I've seen in a very long time. But what Liverpool have has changed is quite concerning, I think, because because everyone expected Liverpool to just come out of the blocks firing 
like they did last season, like they did the year before, like they did the year before that. They just kind of go on their way to be very good, which we all thought they would be. But they started Carvalho and Harvey Elliott in central midfield against Everton. And this right now sparked not not alarm bells, but kind of kind of you know, like a light bulb moment in my brain was like, Oh right, they're changing system big time. They're changing system massively here. Because what Liverpool what what we've seen from Liverpool is similar to what we see from Chelsea but different. Is with Liverpool it's wing-back heavy in terms of their creative output. So their creative output doesn't come from midfielders, generally. Generally, it doesn't come from midfielders. You have a very robust system of Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. Thiago, yeah, he's your m- most creative midfielder there, but he's more deep creation in terms of pass-to-the-assist type operator. Doesn't really get a lot of assists, gets the pass-to-the-assist starts the move he's like a point guard in tennis in not tennis in basketball um like a point guard in basketball just starts the moves right well it's not not an exact like comparison it's similar he is like a defensive anchor but like an offensive anchor at the same time doesn't really get a lot of assist isn't assists isn't creative in the final third he's creative in the middle third to get to the final third you have Henderson, who's really only there to just support Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's his role, and because he's the captain as well. But that's really his role, just to support Alexander-Arnold. And Fabinho is your number six. Your holding midfielder does all the does all the holding midfielder stuff. Right. Then you have Keita, who is a little bit more offensive, a little bit more of your traditional number eight. And he was the, he's the one that if Liverpool ever get into a little bit of strife, I think... He is the one that they can bring on to add a little bit of creativity, add a little bit of spark to their team. I think last season their best midfield had Keita in it. Um, had It was Fabinho, Keita, Thiago. That was based off the fact that when Liverpool were put teams on the back foot, very hard for that team to kind of overturn that, in a sense, um, and kind of get themselves on the front foot. When Liverpool press straight away and really get on the front foot early, teams crumble. And we saw that. I mean, we saw that with City last year in the Cup, FA Cup semi-final, I think it was, 3-0 half-time game over, right? Because they just pushed them, pushed them from the go. That's probably the, that's the way Liverpool play, play their best football, I think. And then you had Harvey Elliott, who got injured last season, very unfortunately. Um, and then you have Milner, who's similar to just... Who, Milner can, Milner's Milner, right? He's like Henderson, but he's not. But he's like Fabinho, but he's not. You know what I mean. Right, so now, anyway, that's what they did last year. And what happens when you have this type of midfield is that you need heavy creative output from your wing-backs, which is what Liverpool are probably the best in the world at having. Trent, Robbo, Unreal, right? And then with that, you need forwards that can just create. Salah, one of the best players, if not the best player in the world for periods of last season. Um, Mane, brilliant. Um, Firmino, great. Jota, really good finisher. They bought in Diaz in January. January hit the ground running and really added a little bit of a different dynamic. And then you had your Minaminos and these guys coming off the bench, etc. Now, that was Liverpool last season. Liverpool this season, different team. Different team. Yes, injuries haven't helped, but when they started Fabinho and uh, uh, um, not Fabinho, Carvalho and Harvey Elliott in midfield, I thought, okay, they're changing the system here. They want to become more of a total team. 
in a sense. What I mean by that is that they want to get more offensive output from their midfielders. Now, this, and I credit Dr. Benji from what I'm about to say. He said this on his stream last night. Um, when you play, this is, I'm just, bear, bear with me, right? When you play football manager, people who play football manager, right? When you lose the league, three times, three, three out of four years, when you're this close to getting it, and you miss out by a point, by goal difference, by whatever, the temptation to just rip everything up and start fresh is there. I think that's what Klopp, Klopp, Klopp has done. I don't think he's ripped everything up. I think he's taken the tactics board from last year and has changed about 60% of it. Because the, he, I think he just felt that something has had to change. And in the attempt to change something, and in the attempt to... In the attempt to try and bridge that gap between him and City, it's almost going to push them further back. And it's almost going to have them struggle a little bit more while they find their feet. Now, what I mean by this, and, and this is why I'm going to touch on the Arthur signing a little bit later. I don't think they should have signed Arthur. I think this shows the panic, not panic, but the confusion with the Arthur signing. Because when you're changing the way you play, they're changing the way they play into a more complete team. What I mean by that is they're trying to get more from their midfielders. They're trying to become more of a creative team, in a sense. That's why you're seeing... Um, that's why, obviously, Nunes was signed, because because having that focal point, funnily enough, removing a creative player from the front line and adding a focal point can actually make your team more creative, like we've seen with City this season. City this season look 10 times more creative because there's no emphasis on the whole front line to score goals. Whereas when you have Hall in there, when you have Nunes there, the emphasis is, is on them to score goals, which gives a little bit more freedom to the wide players and to the midfielders, gives them more license to be a little bit, be a little bit more creative, have a little bit more flair. So the reason they signed... The Arthur signing for me baffles me. Absolutely baffles me. I, I tweeted about this. I was like, it's a very meh signing. It's a meh. Like, yeah, yeah, he's okay. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, this is bizarre. And the more... And when I watched the game on the weekend, I was like, where's Arthur going to fit in this team? Now, if you bring up his FB ref... There we go. These, these are his passing stats. Now, from last year. Ignore maybe from... from where are, where am I here? This is doing it weird from doing it in reverse. But if if you're watching on YouTube, ignore from here up. So from where it says pass completion percentage long up, that just means that when he passes, he passes well, right? That doesn't really mean a whole lot. What we're looking for is from that down. And there's only one, maybe two stats that really stand out to me. And that's passes into the final third and progressive passes. 5.12, 7.39. Not respectively, the other way around. This shows exactly what Thiago offered last season for Liverpool. A player to sit in the middle third and play the balls forward. Play passes forward and play passes into the final third. That is what this new Liverpool team does not need. This new Liverpool team does not need Arthur. It does not. This new Liverpool team needs someone like Lovro Meyer, who I flagged in January. I mean, not in January, this this season, that this um, summer transfer window. Go back and watch 
there's a clip on the YouTube channel when I speak about Lovren Meyer, he's exactly what Liverpool need. He's an aggressive number eight who's very willing to go forward, willing to create, has flair, can play on the wing, plays on the right-hand side predominantly, but he's more progressive with the ball at his feet, likes to drive forward, and he's more creative. Links, he, would link, he would have linked up well with Hall, with um, Nunes, sorry, and Salah and these type of players. This is this is just such a, uh, like yeah he'll play, like Arthur will play, you you won't really notice him. He won't do anything, but like he won't stuff up because he's good. He's good, but he won't do anything that great because he's not great. Like he's just kind. He will just be there, and this Liverpool Liverpool's concerning me a little bit. Even with Chelsea concerning me as well. But Liverpool are kind of almost at a crossroads where they need to fix it real quick. And unless they're gonna unless they're gonna go back to what they did last season, which I think will work. I think I think the Mane I think the more the season goes on, the more I was wrong about Sadio Mane, the more he his his departure actually is quite impactful for Liverpool. But yeah, it's such. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a very fascinating couple of weeks because Arthur for me is a slightly worse version of Thiago, and when you have a slightly worse version of Thiago, you have even less creativity in terms of final third creativity, and it's just gonna be lacking something. It's gonna be interesting. Gonna be very interesting to say, but um, yeah, Liverpool. Are on the are on the edge. They're on the edge, and I don't think the Arthur signing will help them as much as a signing in in, in on deadline day would need to help. Because deadline day screams panic. Deadline day screams impact. Just get the player that will impact us the most. Arthur won't have as much. Arthur will have. I will go as far as to say Arthur will have a little to no impact on Liverpool season. He won't even be mentioned this time next year as a player that's played for Liverpool. His injury record isn't great, but just as a player, he's so meh and he's so not what Liverpool need. It's um it's ridiculous actually. But yeah. As I refresh my voice. But um yeah, they're my just two cents on Liverpool because I do think they'll do well. I do think they'll Finish in the top four, no worries. Matt, they'll probably still end up finishing second somehow. But there's just something they're missing. I hope they fix it. I really do, because I like Liverpool. I do like Liverpool. Um, I hope they fix it. Because I like Klopp, like Salah, Trent, Van Dijk. I like their players. I like the club. Um, yeah, I think they should fix it. I hope they do. Because they've been so good for so long without having the ultimate reward. But um, yeah, let's move on. And let's get into the final final third of this podcast. I just want to I just want to speak about Ivan Tony. How Ivan Tony hasn't been snapped up by a top six club is beyond me. He proved last night, or he, like I've, Ivan Tony proved in the game against Leeds that he is exactly what Chelsea, what United, what Arsenal need in a striker. Just so complete, can score free kicks, penalties. Long shots, poacher, header, drop deep, create, can go out wide, has the pace, has the physicality, technical ability in spades, has everything. Ivan Tony has everything. How we still have Brentford is beyond me. How Arsenal, United, Chelsea, 
didn't snap him up. Even Spurs maybe as a backup to Kane. How he's still at Brentford's beyond me. He's unbelievable. He's so good. Ivan Tony's so good. I love watching him go go about it. It's great. It's really good to see. But um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because his first first goal was a penalty. Second goal was fucking unbelievable, and in the third goal was just so disrespectful to Leeds. How can you just do that to two poor innocent blokes on the line? Just chip it over him. He's just like yeah. Anyway, it's just. And also his his tweet about the fantasy um, FPL stuff was was good crack as well. So um, yeah, he's, he's yeah. I just like that. That was a bit of extra funniness. But um, yeah. As we move on to the second last talking point, or the last talking point before we before we go into who went into footed, I wanted to speak about the Australian Cup now. Australia Cup even now. If you if you don't live in Australia, if you're overseas, just skip to who went into footed because you won't really understand. Unless you want to, unless you want to know about Australian football, um, you can just skip this bit. But yeah, the Australian Cup now. Over the weekend, the quarterfinals came have come and gone, and we are now into the semi-finals. And the two brackets for the semi-finals are Sydney United versus Brisbane Raw and Oakley versus Macarthur. Now, what this means is that there'll be a first-time winner, and there'll be a potential for one or even two MPL sides to be in the final of the Australia Cup. Now, I love every single... I love this. I love it. I, I love it so much. Now, th- th- there's two schools of thought, in my opinion. Either you could be of the pessimistic side and say, how can two MPL teams be in the semi-final of, of the Australia Cup? A-League teams aren't good enough. You can have that, stra- you can have that, that train of thought if you're a dickhead, right? With all due respect. But realistically, this is exactly what Australian football needs. And I'm so happy that it's, that it's happened. Because for the longest time, as my camera goes out of focus, for the longest time, it's been the same four or five clubs, which is great. But it's been Victory City, Sydney, Western Sydney, Adelaide, kind of. Like the, the five, six clubs just doing everything, winning everything, being in the final of everything. Now we're starting to see different clubs and MPL teams fucking getting into the final of the, getting into the semi-finals of the Australia Cup. It's exactly what football in this country needs. Exactly what football in this country needs. To because people will will, will know what the Australia Cup is about and they'll be like, "Oh, who's in the semi-final?" Oh fuck, Oakley, Oakley Cannons are in the semi-final. I live 20 minutes away from them. Let me go and watch them play. Let me get around them. Let me let me back them. Let me be in their corner. Let's get around the MPL teams, get around the community that they vibrate, if that makes sense. It's great. I love it. I, I, I'm so happy that it, that it's happened like this. And it, personally, I would have a Sydney United versus Oakley Cannons and um, Australia Cup final. I think it would be so good. It'd be, it would, I don't know where, where it would be, maybe at Amy Park. But having, having, I mean, I doubt you get, I doubt you'd get, um, over ten thousand, but if you could get around it, that'd be unreal. Just, just make make it such a it's such a contagious atmosphere to be a part of. NPL teams, like for all people want to talk shit about South Melbourne and and for for whatever, right? It's contagious atmosphere. It is far more contagious. Maybe not now because active active support is coming back, but it is far, it, it is far more contagious than the A League was three years ago, four years ago, far more contagious. 
But now the A-League is starting to clock on. You have the active support finally starting to get a, get a hold of themselves. You have these NPL clubs finally starting to break that, grab that brass ring and really take it to these A-League teams. Because it's like, it, for so long it's been three, four, five clubs. Now it's anyone and everyone can go far in the competition and anyone and anyone can beat anyone. That's what makes a good league. That's what makes an exciting league. That's what makes good, good, good TV and good entertainment. Because at the end of the day, sport is entertainment. And while the A League lacks quality that the Premier League has, it needs to make up for it with storylines, with competitiveness, with with limbs, with atmosphere, which it which it's starting to do. It's starting to make up for the lack of quality with everything else. Because we, as much as I don't want to say this. Australian football will never be as as high quality as European leagues. That's fact, and I think everyone knows that. But what we have, what we're frustrated with is, yeah, the quality is not there. That's fine, we know that. But everything, everything else around it needs to step up. And for the longest time, it wasn't stepping up. Now it's starting to step up. We're starting to see uh, a national second division starting to come to the fore. Active support is back. These NPL teams are making big runs in the Australia Cup, like that feeling around local football is starting to come back again. The Like the A-League is starting to become a lot more competitive. You had a first-time winner in Western United. You can have a first-time winner in the Australia Cup this year. It's it, it's in a very good place. And I spoke about it when Australia's qualified for the World Cup. The the FA needed to capitalise on that. While it ha- they haven't capitalised on it to their full extent, they've still done pretty well. And while, yeah... Oakley and Sydney United getting to the semi-finals of the Australia Cup isn't an FA prerogative. It has helped them big time. But when this A-League season kicks off, they need to just go full steam ahead with it. Really promote the league. Don't promote teams. Promote the league and promote how competitive it is. Promote promote how exciting it is to watch. Not because of not because you're going to see Ballon d'Or winners, but because you're going to see exciting high tempo just like or like can't take your eyes off of football for for whatever reason for the limbs for the noise for the storylines for everything that's what the A-League needs to promote and that's what is starting to happen now with the Australia Cup and with these teams getting into the latter stages and with everything happening around it very happy with it and I guess we'll just have to wait and see I think are they happening this week I think they are I think they are happening this week Um, I just need to double check this, just so I don't, just so I don't um speak about it as if, like speak about it in future tense while it's. I probably should have done this actually like. Pre, pre thing. Eh? Um, the eleventh of September. Alright, so the first game is this Sunday, and the the next game is next Wednesday. So. Uh, this will come out before both of those games. Get around it. If you're in Australia, get around it. If you live near Sydney, Sydney United, get around it. If you live near Oakley, get around it. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Hopefully one of them Hopefully one of them can make it. I would love it for one of them to make it. would want it to be Oakley just because Melbourne boy, Greek boy, etc. But yeah, either one I'd be happy with. But yeah, come on. It'd be great. And get around it. I love it. I love the what's happening with Australian football right now. It's great to see. But um, yeah, as we move on to who went into footed, it is no surprise 
for those who haven't seen this um, before, basically, just who did something daft, dumb, just wrong, just annoying. You know what I mean. Who went into footed club, organization, staff member, pundit, whatever. This week, it's, as you everyone can tell, they are now... I need a simple word before I speak about it because I get I get very angry at, at, at what I'm about to say. But now, VAR, VAR, Mister VAR, Mister VAR, Mrs VAR. I mean, it's I mean, let's not discriminate, shall we? Um. Now, now, how do I articulate this without going off my head? How do I say this? How do I say this? Okay, so VAR had an interesting weekend. By interesting weekend, I mean it robbed West Ham of a point. It robbed McAllister of one of the goals of the season. And robbed Aston Villa of potentially three points as well. so Or two points. So um, overall, solid weekend for the VAR. I'm not going to go into every, every specific, right? But it robbed West Ham of a point. Utterly robbed West Ham of a point. It robbed Alex Alexis McAllister of one of the goals of the season. And it robbed Aston Villa of potentially two points as well with the Coutinho decision. If you get rid of it, actually, I've had enough. Get rid of it. It's it we have come it's now what, three years, four years since VAR has been in world football, and it has gone gotten worse. It has gotten progressively worse. Get rid of it. Scrap it. It's not good for the game. I've had enough. It is not good for the game. The McAllister goal. Who? Why was that ruled out? Why? For what reason? You've just robbed one of the most purest moments of football that there is. Scoring a 35-yard banger in the top bins. You're robbing that of some offside decision that's millimetres. At most. What's the point in that? What is the point? You are robbing the, the essence of football. You are taking the fabric... And the groundswork of football, which is just entertainment. VAR is the furthest thing from entertaining. The furthest thing from entertaining. Get rid of it. Scrap it. Not good for the game. I hate it so much. With robbed West Ham of two points. How can you come? How can you watch? And maybe this goes to a referee decision as well, a referee prerogative as well. Because how can you watch that foul? That foul on Mendy and determine that that is. Enough to overrule a goal. Utter disgrace. It's a disgrace. And VAR should just leave. Just scrap it. Get rid of it. Not good for the game. It's... You stop Stop trying to... Stop trying to... Like... Stop trying to perfect the game. Football in itself is not perfect. The game is not perfect. The players aren't perfect. The managers aren't perfect. The production isn't perfect. Everything around football is not perfect. That's what it's meant to be. Because it's not this TV show where everything needs to be to the minute perfect. Human error is per- is really good for football. It is. Because it creates these storylines. It creates these, like, these fast... These, kind of revenge stories and all this stuff. When it's VAR doing it, it's just pure incompetency. When it when, if 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 it's a referee making a split second decision, you can justify an error because split second decision, he's not a robot, he makes mistakes. Fine. When it's when it's when it's VAR doing it, that's when it crosses the line to 
oh, funny, ha, 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 not like, ha, ha, but like, oh, this is human error, this is fine, too. What are you, the fuck are you doing, you incompetent prick? Like, I hate it so much, get rid of it, scrap it, sorry. I've, I've, I've gone off my head there, but like, just scrap it, it's fucked, it's fucked. This, this was the final straw for me. You're ruining the the essence of the game. You are ruining the essence of football with VAR. Hate it. Hate it so much. But I digress. Let's finish up with the preview of the week. Champions League football's back. Um, is it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We're not going to preview every game because fuck that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no Premier League games until the weekend. Um, any big games? Spurs City, Spurs City, um, yeah, so we'll just have to wait to see, Palace versus United as well is a pretty good game, but um, yeah, Champions League, Europa League, Conference League is back, until next time, until next time, thank you all very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Tackle podcast, once again, all the socials, all the audio platforms, five star, five star rating would mean the world to me, follow it, subscribe to it, all the good stuff, um, yes, what else? Do I know anything else? No, I don't. Okay. Thank you guys very much. Thank you guys very much for watching. See you guys. Oh, the outro music isn't playing. There we go. Thank you guys very much for watching. See you guys next time. Goodbye.